So Hendrick and Brady. He's been spit up. He's covered with slime from uh, being in the well. Saliva, you mean? Saliva, that's exactly right. What does he do? If you remember the story, what does he do from then on? Do you know, Brady? Oh, um, Where does he, he Go ahead. He goes to the place he was supposed to go. That's exactly. And talk to the place. He people. obeyed. And what did he say to the people? God sent me to tell you to stop sinning. You know what the king and the people said? Okay. Who makes us right with God? Jesus. Okay. What did Jesus do that made us right with God? He died on the cross. It takes away all our sins. How many days was Jonah in the whale? In the whale? Three. 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 How many days was Jesus in the grave? Three. Out of the mouths of infants and babes. I told the first to service that I... Uh, sat and I listened to Ben interpret, and I said, they cheat. I don't get anybody interpret for me, and uh, we're, still, we're still looking for somebody that has that ability. It's been tough to do so. Yeah, but I am so glad you don't have another language, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, here we are in Jonah again. We are now in uh, chapter 3. And if you'll notice, uh, oh, by the way, I think everybody realizes by now that the chapters were added by uh, just men. They weren't a part of the original documents. This just read as a story. There wasn't chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And, and so you can see why everything so dovetails as you look through this. And it, uh, chapter one, you can't hardly look at chapter one without looking at chapter four and three and two and what happens. So we'll be covering some things, bouncing back and forth. I, uh, I, I want to uh, mention something. I totally forgot the first service. I got done and people were saying, wow, that was good. And I thought, I have one main theme that I had in the center and I have it uh, scribbled in orange. I didn't get that, the first service. So you guys, I'm just gonna give it to you right away and then we'll catch it later on. Uh, but the, the theme basically, if you'll look at uh, the history of the Gospels, and Jesus referred back to Nineveh, and he talked about the Pharisees, and he was in an argument kind of with the Pharisees, and he was utilizing Nineveh to demonstrate something, and, and, and it's somewhat, you're going to see the book of Jonah, it's somehow going to shame Israel, that that. The Ninevites, with his grumpy, complaining, uh, rebellious, anger, bitter man, they knelt down and believed. And the Israelites had Jesus, the Son of God, gentle in spirit, come there and share with them, and they never believed. And I also want you to know, as, as we look through and we go through this, it's easy to read and hear a story and say, hey, I didn't know those things about uh, Jonah and Nineveh and stuff, and it's nice to have information, but I want to make sure we don't miss what is practical today, that we leave that something practically is going to touch our lives, your life and my life, and there are some real, real strong points here. Uh, I'm going to be talking about a pretty delicate 
topic today, I'm going to try to marry two principles. I'm going to try to put them together. You can't have one without the other. But the danger is when somebody talks about one principle, it's easy to just fly over here and not think about another principle that applies. And so we're going to look at something of how we are going to bring some of these principles together, and then how do you and I make practical application uh, in our life. And only God's going to be able to open the door and do that. We are going to look at Jonah chapter 3. And Jonah chapter 3 begins by, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now you remember it already came to him the first time, and God is basically saying, Okay, Jonah, let's get it right this time. Uh, Jonah uh, ran, went the other direction, didn't want anything to do with what God was going to tell him. And, uh, and so he took off and he went the other direction. And God in his uh, providence and in his sovereignty and in, you'll see in his love and also in his wrath, he uh, is going to make sure this job gets done. He's got something way bigger than the story of Jonah and the whale. Uh, so as we go on down here, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, to this great city, and proclaim the proclamation of what I'm going to tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' walk. Now, the great city, it was a big city. They estimate about 600,000 people. It was the capital of Syria. Syria and... And there's also, in, within that 600,000, they're estimated 120,000. They think that maybe at the end of the, the book of Jonah, when they say 120,000 souls, uh, do not you care for them, they're, they're at least thinking that is children and those that have not reached the ability of accountability to make a choice for themselves. Uh, they have not made the choices that these Ninevites were. Now, let me, let me stop for a minute before we continue with the text. I want you to get a picture of this. Now, he's rebellious, yes. He's uh, bitter, yes. Uh, he's disobedient, yes. Uh, all the things that are true that you see about Jonah. But I want to have you just stop for a minute and get the full story of the Ninevites. Ninevites were absolutely cruel people, violent people, vicious people. It would be as though you kind of heard about the drug lordship down in one of the southern uh, countries and you heard that they would take and they would come in and sweep in and just annihilate people. They would take and cut up people, carve them, leave them to bleed to death, and then hang them in the streets so that Everybody would have one relative that was hanging in the streets to remind you of who they were and to put fear in you. And so you somehow see this, and somehow somebody you knew very well or was a relative, you remember seeing them hung in the streets. This is who God tells him to go and talk to. Are you getting a picture if, if you have been around people where you have read stories and a lot of the movies today and the news today, they talk about these people that, that take and they capture little children, little girls, and they turn them into sex slaves, and they do this, and it just, it should boil your blood. I wouldn't doubt that you and I probably would not have similar responses of Noah, and, and, and I have to say, I have said this with my mouth, 
I think we ought to just kill them that would do that to these children. Anybody felt that or at least felt something inside? So now, now you've got a picture of why he's running. And so now all of a sudden he says, now I want you to go to this big city. So he goes into the city and he walks through it a day and he said, and here's his comment, yet 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Let's pause right here. Sometimes people think that Jonah was going in there and sharing the gospel. And he was sharing the good news of repentance. Do you get that all he was saying is, 40 days, you're going to get it. And I'm going to be tickled to death. I'm going to be glad. 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. And you kind of see him go outside of the city, and he's waiting there, and he's viewing, and it's like, good. Finally, the recompense of this horrible, evil thing. I'll now tell him, 40 days, you're going to be wiped out. So now you can get a picture. And you're going to see why he gets so upset with this. Then the people of Nineveh believed God and called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from the throne and laid aside his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and the nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, flock taste a thing. Don't let them eat or drink water. Both men and beasts have to be covered with sackcloth. Let the men call on God earnestly that each man may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows if God might turn from me? Oh boy, there's a lot packed into that. There's a lot packed into that. Right away, these people begin to respond. Now, it is alluded, some, there's a lot of different commentaries that give you different thoughts, and it really doesn't matter if you're going to go ahead and break down the, some of the interpretation. The application, the practical point is still the same. Now, remember, Nineveh was an ungodly uh, nation. They, their god that they worshiped was called the fish god. Get that? The fish god. And uh, I don't know what you did or how you did, but it was half fish, half man. And they worshiped them. They sacrificed idols to them. And somehow, I believe the news of what happened to Jonah came to them. They somehow knew because people were terrified of what happened when they threw Jonah overboard and he landed in the water and the sea became completely calm. And that kind of news doesn't stay hidden. It spread quickly and it spread all over. And for some reason, I believe these people had heard of this before. I think that when he came and he said, you are going to be destroyed, they had reason to believe they would be destroyed because his God is God. And they believed. And they believed. We go back and you hear the stories of Jesus when he was talking, and I started with this, and he's visiting with the Pharisees who are not believing. We, and he says that you stoned the prophets and killed them. And Nineveh had this grumpy, complaining, bitter spirit, and he basically shared just that they were going to be destroyed, and they believed. 
The sackcloth was just a, uh, to cause you to, they take off all their clothes and put on sackcloth. All it was is a real scratchy, itchy thing that would remind them, it would irritate them, and remind them of their sins. Now, note this. The Ninevites that I understand, according to the passage in the text, do not understand much about God's love and God's grace and God's compassion. They don't mention that. They don't seem to have followed him and and kind of followed his passion. But they knew something of the fear of God. They knew something. They were terrified. And here's a point I don't want you to miss. This is one of the key points. We're going to talk about three ones. In our day, and and, and rightfully so, There was not long uh, before I came to faith, there was a movement in America back in the 40s and 30s, and it was really a a message of God's wrath and fire and brimstone message. And very little of God's compassion, his love, his kindness, his forgiveness, and his grace. And God began to bring revelation to people, and, and even way back where Luther, Martin Luther then began the Reformation, they began to bring about God's grace, and people began to respond to the love of God and re- respond to this God that was gracious. And uh, so what happened is we took a big swing, and we swang way over here, but rather than letting the thing kind of balance out, I, I want to ask the question, where have all the God-fearing people gone? I think sometimes we move over here and we have forgotten about the respect that God demands. These people were moved by the fear of God. Remember the verse that they're going to be using in here? The center of this Jonah says, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Well, let's come back and see the Psalms, and let me read to you some Psalms that have exactly the same words. You are crowned with loving kindness and compassion, for the Lord's compassion is gracious, Psalm 103. Slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever, for he's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgression. And just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Now most of the time we hear that and we get a little kind of, ah. His compassion is overwhelming. His forgiveness is unbelievable. His anger is not poured out upon us. But you noticed what else you heard there? For those who fear him. This isn't just an Old Old Testament, Old Covenant text. We're going to go into 2 Corinthians 7, Philippians chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 1, and it talks about us that we need to have a holy, holy fear of God. And that's, it's one of the things that's essential. Somehow, how do we marry this compassionate, loving, kind, gracious God with this unbelievable, majestic God where we, he demands 
that we fear him. I think we're in a generation where people have lost that. We take sin so lightly because, well, so what? God's grace will cover it. I have word for you about that. There's a lot to be said about this. God is a just God, and God will reconcile and will recompense the wicked. That means everything that he deals with, there is going to be a day of accountability, and account is going to be given. We ought to have a holy terror for that. Now, I want you to see something. If that fear of God drives you away from God, it is the wrong fear. This type of fear draws you to him. It sucks you to him. It's like you're drawn to him. We had a deal in our family. I don't see any of my kids here today, so I can take more liberty. <laughs> uh, my boys, they, uh, they were boys, and they would uh, behave like boys. And, uh, and we, are, we were pretty uh, strong on the fact that if we ask you to do something, I will try to let you know why, but if you choose not to go ahead and obey, there will be discipline. There will be something strong and something painful because we love you, we, we care for you. And so the thing that would happen is uh, they would wander near disobedience. Have you ever had your kids do that? It's like, there's times I, they were irritating me more and more, and pretty soon it's just like, oh, please disobey because I'm ready with the paddle. Do not touch this pulpit. <laughs> and the other brother would bump him into it like this, and then it's like, and part of me was like, good, okay? But we had a policy that when we disciplined our kids, we embraced, we embraced. One time I was uh, down in Oklahoma and I was going down there for uh, school training for biblical counseling and uh, I remember Jesse, my oldest one, uh, disobeyed, just outright disobeyed uh, Nancy. And, uh, and before I left I saw that and I took that and I went and I disciplined him harshly and I got in the car and drove off. And I looked in the rear view mirror and he was chasing me. And I looked and I stopped and went, oh. Stopped the car, opened my arms, he ran, jumped into my arms. He wanted the embrace that comes, that knew I loved him. And when my kids were disciplined, they were just lovable for a while. This type of fear of God, if you, if you understand it fully, it will bring you to him. You're drawn to him. But don't you forget, God will settle accounts. Sin doesn't just fly away. I talked to a man, a dear friend of mine, who had gone through a really hard thing this last year. And I said, what are some of the things you've learned? And one of the things he said is, God takes sin very seriously. And I've been disciplined harshly this year. But I've grown to know God's love in that discipline more than anything that I've been. But I was taking sin lightly. You see, these Ninevites, they didn't know much of the compassion and, and, the, and the love of God. But
but they knew about this big, mighty God that's calmed the seas and created a fish that spit out a man on the land. They knew if this is God, they knew how big he was, how mighty he was, and also how terrifying he was, but they also knew their sin. They knew they were evil. And it caused them to bend their knee. It caused them to fall before him, and it said, and the city believed. Now, I don't know the total uh, amount. God doesn't give us this, but it said, each man, each man believed. Let's just be a little bit lenient here. Can you imagine Ben standing up, you're invited to go to a big city, and you go to New York, you get to preach, and not 10 people pray to receive Christ, not 50, not 100, not 1,000, hundreds of thousands fall to their knees to receive Christ. You don't see this anywhere else in, his, in the history of the Scriptures. An entire nation of 600,000 people now, if I was Jonah, man, I would have gone back and said, you won't believe what just happened. Half a million people bent their knee. What's he say? Kill me. I'd rather be dead than to see this. Now, this is the second time he says it. Remember, the first time was in the, in the boat. Throw me over, kill me. He didn't think he was going to live. Kill me. Before I go there, kill me. Throw me in the water. He doesn't throw in the water. Oh, and you'll even find out. I think it's a common nickname for him because later on, after they repent and after things happen, he goes out and he's in the, outside the city, sitting there, and a, and a, a big old vine grows over him and shades him, and then it dies. And then what does he say then? Kill me. I don't want to see this. This is something I don't want to see. How about you? Has somebody hurt you so bad or hurt somebody you love so bad that you've just decided, I don't want them to be saved. I don't want them to come to faith. And you're just kind of bothered by the fact that somebody's even going to talk to them about God because you know what they deserve. You see, this hits our home. Somebody hurts you terribly in a church and you say, that's it. I'm not going back to that church again. I'm done with that. I just want to know if you have somebody in your life that you're acting like the Ninevites or you're acting like the Israelites and basically deciding that you know better than God. Now, we get, we get to sit back and see the full picture here. We know, guess what? Nineveh gets it in the end. They're wiped out. But not before they get to wipe out Israel. They get to wipe out the nation of Israel, and then they get wiped out. God settles accounts. Sin is not something that you do lightly. This is a bold statement. It's not making a prophetic thing towards you. It's just asking the question, 
When you think of God and his compassion and his love and his kindness and his greatness, which are all true, and his forgiveness, which are all true, and I embrace those with all my heart, if there isn't a holy terror inside you, I'm not sure you know this God. Because there's nobody in the Bible that saw God, a glimpse of God that did not shiver, fall down in the set, and became greatly terrified in his presence because of how mighty and how holy he is. There's, there's in the scriptures in Philippians and also in uh, 2 Corinthians, it talks about that work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, I didn't come to faith in 1970. I did not come to faith because I had heard of the goodness of God. I came to faith on two things, two things that night. I have no idea what else David Wilkerson was talking about, but I remember two things strongly. One, he said, I could know this living God that laid out this whole universe. I could know him personally. That blew me away. And the second thing he told me is I won't go to hell because I had been in a church that talked to me a lot about hell, and I was scared to death of hell. It wasn't his love and compassion. That came later, and that's still working its way out. But there is a, there is a holy fear that it says, for those that fear him, that for those that fear him, and my challenge to you is, is this a God that you can look at the Ninevites and see that they fell on their knees because of their unbelievable uh, revelation of the holiness of this mighty God? And they fell on their faces and said, even if there's a chance you'll relent, even if there's a chance you'll relent, we'll fast We'll cover every animal that we've got with sackcloth. We won't let any animal eat or drink or any human being eat. We're telling you, we're serious. We are going to turn from our evil ways. I mean, you know, you've heard biker groups and murderers and stuff that have turned and went a different direction. These guys were the worst of the worst, and they turned. Where did all the God-fearing people go? Don't mistake what I totally have not missed the passage where he says, I knew, I knew you were compassionate, kind, forgiving God. I knew that about you, and that's partly why I don't, didn't want to go to them. I knew you were like that. And I am so glad for that. But I do not take sinning lightly. This holy God, this holy God looks down and there is some recompense that comes. There is something that he makes right. And by the way, just a little side view here. If you have been abused, terribly abused as a child or your children have been abused and somebody has hurt them terribly, and I know in a, in a congregation this size, there's been a lot of pain and a lot of hurt that has came upon you that has been very, very, un, almost untalkable that came upon you. My, my word for you is that it hurts and it's painful and it, it's okay to embrace that, acknowledge that, but don't try to have vengeance yourself. God is going to make right that wrong. You can count on it. He will make it right. People will not get away for how they have treated people. 
I don't know how it will come out, but it says that he is a, a vengeful God and he will make right those wrongs. They will be just. All I know is I'm asking you, why don't you leave it with him? He'll do it just right. And by the way, I would ask that you don't kind of have this attitude that David had after David, right between the time he sinned and didn't get caught. Remember in Psalms, and he says, God, these people are horrible. Will you hold it against them? Will you come and smash them against the wall? Will you do this? And then two verses later, he says, deal kindly with me and my iniquities. That's kind of how we feel. It's not just going to be vengeful for those people, but for you and I. Take lightly when you choose, when the enemy tempts you and chooses to, to, to act inconsistent of who you are as a new creation, that you've been made after the holiness of God, and the enemy tells you to go ahead and choose this over God. Be very cautious that it's not just that, okay, let's tread lightly on this, but know this, there is an unbelievable God that you ought to have a holy fear for. There are consequences that will come, and these Ninevites learned that, and a whole nation turned on that principle alone. And it's not just an Old Testament principle. So one, in conclusion, if somebody's hurt you so bad, or somebody's hurt somebody you love, it's okay to acknowledge it, and I would say, God, their justice is in your hands, and you're a just God. You take care of it. I'm letting this go. And if you haven't, I would do, before you leave this church today, I would not leave here until you tell God, I'm letting it go. They are yours to deal with as you feel right. Second, God will settle the accounts. He'll make right. You don't have to worry about it. It, it will come. The last one, I can't make you or me do. But I can promise you this. If you'll take this message to heart, if you'll hold it to your chest, God says in Proverbs that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. And fearing the Lord is the hatred of evil and it stands against pride, those two Proverbs. So you know this, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil and stands against pride, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of any knowledge you're ever gonna have. I can't make you fear God, but I give you a warning, a biblical warning. If you do not, and you take it lightly, you will. You will. Because God will make sure you know the seriousness of walking away from him. Let's pray. Father, in light of that, that responded to Nineveh and a whole nation turned to you, I just pray that today that in, in the midst of a new covenant, in the midst of a graceful God, in the midst of a message of grace and liberty and freedom from the old covenant and the law, that we would not lose sight of how big and holy you are and that we would always keep within us, near to our chest, a holy fear of who you are. 
And I pray that that would make us turn from sin. We would run from sin. We would hate evil, for that is the fear of the Lord. We can't do it alone, Holy Spirit. You're going to have to empower each one of us individually that we have that holy fear that then allows us to run into your safe arms. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.